RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. Wow! This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Everybody take a nice deep breath. Take a nice deep breath. Because guess what it is? It's Friday morning. What does Friday morning mean to you and to me and everybody else around? It means Duffified Live. That's what it is. It is me. I get to talk to super cool people all over the world, and I love it. I fucking love it. I get to talk to whoever I want to, and I get to talk to them. I get to ask them questions about stuff that means something to me. Hopefully, it means something to them, and then things that mean stuff to you. By the way, if you guys ever want to hear something, you wanted me to talk to somebody, you want me to interview somebody, do a connection. Make it happen. You know where connections happen the most? Twitter. That's where I get most of my guests from if I don't know them or I don't have a connection to them. I go right through Twitter and I reach right out to them. Uh, you're going to hear us talking a little bit about the whole idea that, guess what? It's really simple. Reach out and ask somebody for something. Talk to them. You got a 100% chance of making something happen. Okay? I'm sorry. Let me back that up a second. You got a 100% chance of failing if you don't go after it. You got a 50% chance of making it happen if you ask. Okay? That's the key. That's the awesome part about this. So, where are we going to go with that whole thought? Let's think. Let's go for being aggressive today. Let's talk about being aggressive. All right. I'm a pretty aggressive individual. I go after what I want. I make, uh, I try to make things happen as much as I can. If I want something, I'm going to ask for it. If I, if I, if I'm afraid of somebody or if I don't want to, you know, if, if I think about it all day long and I never make something happen with it, I don't go after it. It's never going to come to that has happened across the board with a tremendous amount of things that I've done in my life. You know, I, 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 I wanted to be a chef. I, I don't know why. But I did. My buddy, Jeff, who is actually an avid listener of Duffified Live, which I love, Jeff. He actually sends me great notes afterwards. Um, same as my buddy, Panini Pete. Um, you know, these are guys that I look up to because they're people that, one, I like them for who they are as a human being. I like them for being my friends. So, Jeff, dude, it's your fault I went to culinary school, man. You're the guy who said to me, you should think about going to culinary school. And I remember being like, man, I'm a rugby drinking, beer smoking, cigar or beer drinking, cigar smoking kind of guy. I'm not going to go to school to be a chef. And I remember that all the guys that I played rugby with were like, what the fuck is this guy doing going to school to be a chef? Like, well, this was in the 90s, man. This wasn't the time frame that we're in now where everybody and their brother wants to be a chef. It's it's it wasn't like that. This was a big deal for me to leave college and go into the culinary world. And become a chef because you know what? I never cooked in a restaurant prior to this. I had never done that. All I did was wait tables, and I was a damn good waiter. I remember I used to wait tables at a place in Ardmore, Pennsylvania called McCluskey's. And old man McCluskey was, uh, was an old man, and he was an old drunk, and um, he owned an Irish pub called McCluskey's, and, and I waited tables there. And I remember I used to make a boatload of money, and there was this one time that. Uh, uh, I had I had this table of four people. It was a mother and a father and two kids, two or three kids that were sitting down, and they kept saying, "Like you, we want you to meet our niece. We want you to meet our niece. We want you to meet our niece." And I remember saying to them, "Like I have a girlfriend. Thank you so much. I appreciate it." And I usually would kind of lie to people 
in a way, because I, I always believe that when you're an, a server or whatever, you're an actor, you're on stage, you're performing, you're trying to give the best meal that you possibly can or the best service that you possibly can. Because guess what? Service fixes everything, people. Okay. Service will clean a, a flat beer. Service will fix uh, a burger that might be a little bit overcooked. For, service will fix if you have an issue with your meal coming out too late. Okay. Service will fix these things. And what we do is we focus so much on the bullshit of the business that we lose sight of the focus. We lose focus on the end goal. And the end goal is that we are here to exceed the expectations of our guests. I say it every single show. And service does that. Whether it be your bartender, your busboy, your runner, your expediter, whatever it works out to be, service is the, uh, is, the, is the way that we want to go through that. So I used to lie to people. I used to make uh, up little scenarios or stories. If I had a dentist who was coming in, guess what? I wanted to go to the University of Pennsylvania to become a dentist. If a doctor came in, guess what? I wanted to go to the University of Pennsylvania to become a doctor. Like these were things that, that I thought about. Like I wanted to react and interact with people or I wanted to interact and create a reaction with people. So that's what we did. Look, it's not like I was bullshitting um, across the board. It's not like I was saying I was a millionaire and I want to take everybody out to dinner and that's not happening. What I was saying was I was creating an, a, a relationship with somebody. So when this family comes in and they start telling me how they should, I should date their niece and I'm a good looking guy and I'm a really nice guy. I got a great personality. And I said, I have a girlfriend. And I remember them talking about this woman and I said well what's her name and they're like her name's Amy I said well that's really weird because my girlfriend's name is Amy and they and I said what is your last name and they said our last name is so and so and I was like no shit oddly enough it was my my girlfriend's aunt and uncle who were sitting at that table so create reactions have some fun in there and and go do it and for me we've been creating reactions as much as we can within the restaurant of flying fish and uh, I have some news uh, for everybody a little bit later on. I can't tell you what it is right now, but I'll tell you guys a little bit further down the road. Um, but I'm excited for the next couple of weeks coming up. I'm going to talk about that at the end of the show. But um, I really just want to get that point across that if you're a new restaurant operator or you're in the new a new industry, if you're whatever industry it is, it really doesn't matter because service and hospitality come through with everything. You know, even if you're look, you could be a machine operator. You know, the ultimate person at the end of the road, they're the ones who have to sell that piece to somebody and their customer service comes into that. You know, when you're in a doctor's office, customer service comes from that woman who's behind that counter. You guys know what it's like walking into some of these offices. People are miserable. They're, 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 they don't want to be involved. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to do anything beyond their pay grade, their pay scale. That's what they're there to do is just to collect that dollar. And, and it shows. It shows across the board. I've, I've left I had, a dent, I had a doctor who was, who was my doctor for years. I left because I didn't like the customer service of the front desk. You know, I was a, a couple of years ago, I was really allergic to some stuff and I had to go through a whole bunch of stuff with allergy and all that. And there was this one bitch who worked behind the counter who was just miserable and, and always unhappy. And I remember I would walk in and I would actually bypass her and go and talk to somebody else just so I wouldn't have to talk to that person. Comes down to the same if you're gas, like I have a gas station that I go to here. They pump my gas for me. It's in Philadelphia. It's in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And they're, they're, if I'm not mistaken, they're Russian guys. But every time I walk in, the guy smiles and says, hey, how are you today? I don't even know if he understands what the hell I'm saying because he rarely responds back to me when I say, how are you, other than good. But 
he asks that question and he makes me feel like I'm, I'm, I'm an important part of the day and that makes me feel good. And I like that. Not that I need to be made to feel important, but if I'm spending money with something, I definitely want to feel as if I'm receiving something from that. So, um, you know, I, I walked into Lululemon today with my daughter. We always go in there. They always have stuff on sale. Um, and usually their sales are pretty good if you can go in and find some something in there. Um, and we walked in. And as soon as I walk in, they're like, hey, how are you? What's going on? How's your day? Can I help you find anything? Not that pushy kind of bullshit as if you're in like, you know, Abercrombie and they don't even want to talk to you when they're 17 and they're better than you are. Um, this is Lulu. I walk in. I have a conversation with the girl behind the counter and the girl who's in the fitting room. And, you know, you communicate with people and you have fun. Make their day and they're going to make your day. It's just kind of the way that everything works out. So service fixes all my friends. Make sure you take care of it. All right. Please take care of it. Um, it is. Uh, I learned a lot of lessons over the last year about uh, about all of that because my consulting business has been in um, has really been very heavily focused on the back of house and the kitchen and all of that. And over the last year, my my business has really forced me further into that customer service kind of realm. So I have spent a lot of time watching servers and watching everything. You know, watching. Watching what, what what's happening with employees over the last the last couple of years, um, there was a really good article uh, this week that was in the Washington Post um, that was put out on. Uh, I'm sorry, it was put out last year uh, by a gentleman named Roberto Ferdman, um, and the name of the article is the Criti- the crippling problem restaurant goers haven't noticed, but that chefs are freaking out about. And what it talks about is that good cooks are harder to come by. Um, you know, not the head kitchen honchos depicted in Food Network reality shows who fine-tune menus and orchestrate the dinner rush, but the men and women who are fresh out of culinary school and they're eager. And it's very odd because I'm watching this happen all over the country, across the board. New York, Chicago, L.A., Philadelphia, Rockford, Tampa, Ybor City, Fort Myers, wherever it is, Denver, who knows? It's happening across the board. I don't know where all of these kids are going to. I don't know where these culinary students are going to. I, I just don't, I don't know where the hell they're going to. They're in school, they're graduating, and then where are they going to? Because they're becoming harder and harder to find. So I started to do a little bit of research about it and, and, and try to dig in a little bit further and find out what was going on. And one of the main things that's really happening is that a lot of these kids are getting sucked up by corporate. They're getting sucked up by the Aramark. They're getting sucked up, sucked up oddly enough, by the Outbacks. and that sort of stuff, because what's happening is they're paying these kids so much money. And this isn't just kids. This is pretty much everybody. They're paying people a tremendous amount of money. I mean, the, the minimum wage in California is 12 bucks. You know, my dishwashers make nine in Philadelphia. My prep cooks make 11. My line cooks make 13 and 14. They're paying, you know, kids to go in and cook onion or to, to be a blooming onion cutter, 15 bucks an hour. So why is it that you would go and work for somebody if you're not going to gain anything from them. So one of the things that I, I know I talked about it last week, but it's so prevalent in today's society for what we have to talk about. The idea that we have to, we have to give something to our staff because if not, they're going to get bored and they're just going to take off. You know, why would you work for somebody? There's a, there's an old saying that people don't quit jobs. They quit people. And it's so true. Every single part of that. So Keep that in your mind when you're hiring that we want to create a new scenario for somebody when they come in to work for us that they're going to want to work there for a couple of years, not just a couple of months or a couple of days. So everybody do me a favor, educate your employees, exceed the expectation, 
Hospitality and service will fix all these things. But right now, I got to talk to you guys about one more thing. And we're going to talk real quick about one of our sponsors. We're talking about Nogginware.com. That is Nogginware. Go to the website. Check the boys out. Tell Scott and everybody I said hello. Put in the code Chef Brideoff, and they're going to give you something fun that comes along with it. When you buy a hat from Nogginware.com, it is one free shipping. Free shipping. Their hats are awesome. Super well-made. Quality across the board. Uh, the new restaurants that I do, all everybody who goes into these restaurants, all the kitchen guys, Get a hat that's made by Nogginware. I love it. I'm super happy about what happens with it. Everybody, uh, the hats are really, really well made. And uh, if you want to get one of my hats, you can easily just go over to Nogginware.com. Tell Scott, tell everybody that I sent you, and we'll take care of it from there. Nogginware.com, Chef Brideoff, Hat of the Month Club. They have one, three, and six-month subscriptions that you can do. They automatically ship you a hat. Very nice box, perfectly packaged. Something that's going to make you smarter inside of it. All right. So that's what I got there. Now I get to talk about a guy who I have uh, listened to for a long time. Uh, I just recently started listening to him again. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't expect him to be as cool as he was, but he's a super cool, down to earth guy, and that makes me really happy because I just like good people. So I want everybody to do me a favor and get ready. I want to see if I can play something here real quick so that you guys can hear. Um, let me see if I can pull it up. I probably should have been uh, a little bit more uh, prepared for this part of it. But I think what I'm going to do, the hell with that. We're going to go right into here. All right. I'm pulling it up for you guys right now. I know. Can you believe I'm doing this on air? I am pulling music up on air. But guess what? It's like right here. It's ready to go. I'm going to play it for you. Of course, I probably have like bad Wi-Fi or something right now. That's exactly what's going to happen. That doesn't make me happy. All right, continue online. What is this? See, now it doesn't work. Now it doesn't work at all. You guys are like, wait a second. Am I really sitting here listening to this guy talk about music that he's going to play? So let's see if we can do, I love this one personally. Now it sounds like we might be listening to a little Paul Simon or Garfunkel, but no. It's G-Love, baby. Yeah, she loves. Big fan. The problems all inside your head, she said to me. The answer's easy if we take it logically. I'd like to help you in your struggle to be free. There must be. Come on. I'm shooting, man. And one of the things that we talk about, that I like, is his style. Got a lot of funk in it. Got some hip hop fun. Let's see if we can pick a real good one. I love it. So, everybody, do me a favor. As I drop my phone right in front of me. Check out G-Love and Special Sauce. We got G-Love today on Duffified Live. Here we go. So everybody, guess what? Uh, like I was saying, uh, I got a Philly guy here uh, on, the, uh, on the air with us. Uh, somebody that I have uh, listened to for many, many years and just recently uh, got reintroduced after traveling all over the world and listening to music. I, for the last three weeks, have been listening to uh, Mr. G-Love and Special Sauce. So what's up, brother? How are you today? 
Oh man, I'm doing good, Brian. Uh, actually, I'm. Uh, I got a a rare week off this week, so I'm actually with my family, and we're up at Cape Cod, and um, I'm actually sitting in my Jeep on the outer beach right now. I just got out from surfing. I got a cold beer in my hand. My 15-year-old's chilling. The baby's sleeping in my friend's trailer, and uh, my chick's looking fine. She just finished working out. <laughs> there you go. It sounds like a perfect day. Sounds like a perfect... Are you on the... Are you actually... Do you park your Jeep on the beach? Yeah, it's really cool. Um, you know, like, I grew up going to Jersey Shore, but my parents moved up to the Cape a couple years back. Actually, we just got a house up here, and... Um, yeah, it's really great. There's a thing called the Outer Beach, and yeah, you take your four-wheeler out, and um, yeah, you park in the sand. So it's a little different. Like when you used to go to Avalon, the Jersey Shore, you know, you, you wherever you are, you get all your shit, you lug it the best you can down to the beach, and you take as much as you can carry. Here, you just pack your Jeep pack up with up. as much shit as you can possibly handle for the day. So we got the Yeti cooler, we got the grill, we got, you know, <laughs> man, we just go, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm an Outer Banks guy. I don't go to the Jersey Shore anymore. So okay. I know that I buy my, uh, I buy my, I buy my off-road pass at the beginning of the season. And, uh, my uh-huh. girls are no stranger to 40 miles an hour on a beach. Don't tell anybody, but nice. Nice. Yeah. so, uh, and so you have a 15 year old as well. Now, are you in Philly at all? Does your son go to school around here or? Uh, no, you know, um, I moved to uh, Boston to kind of follow my son and his mom when we split. And um, so I've been actually in Boston since, I want to say like 2003, 2004. Oh, nice, man. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, my I've been there since my son was about two and no, four. And he's going to be a junior this year. So um, I think after that, we're going to end up back to the Cape, but I will say, like, yeah, I, I don't really get down to Philly as much as I'd like to anymore, because we don't have a studio there, and I don't live there, so, no so now the only time I come in is for shows, and I gotta say, man, this past year, especially when I came back, I was blown away, like, the energy, it's amazing, like, you know, all these neighborhoods are popping up, like, I used to live down in Fishtown, oh, yeah, um, and I had a pocket of money but i didn't have a kid and i didn't really realize the you know kind of why would you want to buy a house <laughs> if you don't have a kid like i wouldn't want to have roots like that but i didn't realize like anyhow i was renting down at fish Town for like five years i could have bought the whole block you know but oh I mean, yeah so then, you know well i i just opened a restaurant up in brewery town which is on the opposite side so right over by the zoo so it's all gentrification, man. I mean, we're talking about my buddy bought his house eight years ago, nine years ago, and spent thirty nine thousand uh, dollars. And uh, the house at the end of his street just sold for three nineteen. Wow! Yeah, so, yeah, pretty impressive. So, so, uh, so Philly. So, I mean, I got to do some Philly stuff right off the bat. I know you're not down here, but actually, before I get into that, while you're up in Boston, I got a great buddy of mine who's a chef up there. His name's Jason Santos. Um, and he's got blue hair. He's a total rock star. But, uh, he's got three super cool restaurants up there. So I'll give you his info. You guys chat because he's a great guy. And his food is out of this world, man. And he's right outside of Boston. So, yeah. Um, so, so how did it all, I, I mean, obviously, you know, like, look, there's only so much that I can really start off with, but a lot of people know you and like, how did you go from being, you know, a guy who went to GFS, which everybody that's Germantown friends. Um, I, by the way, I used to go to uh, go out with all the girls from Springside. 
So. Ah, you must be a uh, you must be a player because that's like they were all the hot chicks. <laughs> Dude, they were super hot. Oh my god! Between between GFA between uh, Ch- or, uh Springside, then you got Baldwin and uh, yeah. Agnes Irwin. Man, we had them all. Yeah, but Springside was like notorious for like super hot chicks. But that's why you hated those dudes from CHA, man. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh totally. Totally. They were right across the street from him. So, yeah, yeah, I did. I went out with a girl named uh, uh, Suzanne was her name. That's all I know. I went to a prom with her many years ago, <laughs> many, many moons ago. She was super nice. hot, though. Went to ended up going to school in Virginia. So nice. Um, but uh, so how does it go that you go from GFS into the world that you're in? I mean, you know, I mean, the, some some of your stuff is pretty. I mean, it's all pretty awesome. But I mean, some of it's so iconic with your sound and what you do. I mean the hip hop realm of what you guys are doing. I mean, how did that? How did that come into that? Well, it's funny. Like it's funny you bring up GFS because um, actually I do feel like a big part of like um, my whole path was set at my high school. Well, I went to elementary school and high school there, and um, you know it was definitely like a creative place. Um, and I kind of found my music outside of. Uh, school i mean i i did take lessons from you know eight to about 13 Hmm. or 14 and then i kind of started really uh then it really got it took a while for me to enjoy playing guitar or be good at it or even like learning how to tune it i mean i wasn't a musical kid so uh it took i started when i was eight i couldn't really tune the thing properly until i was like (laughs) 13 i mean i just didn't have an ear i didn't really have rhythm and I don't really know why I kept going. Um, I just think I don't like to quit as a person, period. So I, I kept going with it for some reason. And then when I was 13, I actually like started making some pretty convincing sounds. And then when I was 15, I wrote my first song. And it was at that point I was like, okay, now all of a sudden I was a 15-year-old kid, right? I had just had what I thought was a broken heart, you know, cause my little girlfriend may have left me. <laughs> um, and I, I wrote a song. I don't know why I wrote a song, but, I, but I did. And, um, that really changed my life. And it gave me all of a sudden at this young age, like, um, a path, you know, which is what everybody wants in life, right? Like to find your path, like what you're supposed to be doing. So, um, so the music kind of spoke to me, at this young age and, and, and then I started learning a lot of different type of music, like first the Beatles and Bob Dylan. And, um, and then later people like John Hammond and Robert Johnson and learning the blues. Um, so this was kind of a side thing outside of school. However, we had this and, and the music that by the time I was in ninth grade, I was serious about enough about my music to try out for choir. Right. Wow. So now at GFS, they had a really good choir. Like they would tour, they would go to Europe and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went to try out for choir. Well, here's the problem was that, um, this was 10th grade. I tried out for choir, but from, from fifth grade to ninth grade, I was like the class. Wise ass. You know, the class you would goof off in the most was chorus. Right, like the musical class you had to take, where you learn these stupid songs. Exactly, white shirt, black pants. Yeah, and it's just like the perfect class to to just like haze the teacher. I mean, we we were we were terrible, yeah. (laughs) And um, so when I went out to try out for choir, they were like, Garrett Dutton, are you 
fucking kidding me? No, get out of here. You'll never be a part of this choir. Wow. You know? I mean, they didn't say that, but I didn't make they the audition. No, I right. didn't get it in. And, um, but that's cool. I kept doing my music, and then um, the school has a talent show. And this was really my first big performance. So I put together this folk group, right, which is the Peter, Paul, and Mary high school version 1986 right or 1988 and it was myself and i had like long hair you know flannel shirts corduroys and you know boots and a short little jewish girl from elkins park named wendy beck <laughs> who sang like an angel and she and then my quaker uh straight edge skinhead friend nice good combination <laughs> right there so it was me, a little hippie, a little pudgy little Jewish girl, and a straight-edge skinhead. And it was like, dude, we had this, it was called Greenwood. And we had this repertoire of all these original folk songs I was writing. Wow. You know, two guys on a guitar, and Wendy and I would sing the harmony. And I'm telling you, man, we played at the, at the um, talent show. And, you know, GFS is pretty crunchy school. Yeah. And, uh... We brought the house down, man, and it was like, I, I don't think I've ever heard a cheer before then or after then that was that loud in my ears. And, wow. And that was like, wow. At that moment, you know, it was like, you know, I was so nervous. And then we went on and just, I don't even remember playing a note, but we just killed it. And that was kind of, GFS gave me my uh, first shot on the big stage and kind of hooked me on that live performance thing. That's cool. Did you guys win? Was it like, uh, it or it was like just a, a talent? It yeah, it wasn't like a competition, but it was like I would have say we we would have we probably would have we probably took took the took a pretty uh, <laughs> solid prize that night if they had them. <laughs> <laughs> and have you ever spoken to Wendy again? Uh, we haven't talked in probably fifteen years. You know, just kind of fell out of touch. But sure, that was a cool show. Like it was cool enough that the week after the high school newspaper, like a scene, I was a tenth grade, like a senior interviewed me. You know what I mean? There you go. And, and, and like, so it was really exciting. And, um, you just talk about that high school thing for a minute. It's like, you know, I really feel like you start coming into yourself when you're like 15, 16. And this is a time in your life when you can really like get ahead if you got something to say and, but it's a work ethic thing. Right. So like a lot of kids might have a voice and it's like, it's in life with adults too. It's like, you can have a voice, a passion, but look, you got to have a work ethic and a hustle to go along with it because, I mean, look, Brian, how many people do you know that are, like, so gifted, you know, whether it's in the culinary arts or music or acting or whatever they do, or if you don't if you don't go out there and get a gig, right, which has nothing to do with cooking or playing music, then, sure. you know, you're not going to get out there and then it's just going to go away. Yeah, yeah. I, dude, I totally agree. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge believer. I, I have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old daughter, and my whole yeah. world is, look, y- you have a 100% chance of of getting, of getting losing it if you don't go and get it, but you got a 50% shot if you do. You know what right. I mean? You can either go after it and get it, and I, I do it to my girls all the time. My daughter wants a new phone. I said, well, call, the, call AT&T and figure it out. Right, you, you know, right. you're, you're 16. I'm not going to sit here and do it. You want to get your driver's license? Go get it. You want to go to UCLA right. and be a coxswain, which is what she wants to do? Go get it. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that goes along with that. So, and I mean, yeah. especially at that time for you guys, I mean, that was 80s, right? I mean, you're, I think we're pretty, pretty similar in age. I'm 46. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I'm 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 just behind you. I'll be 45 in October. Okay, so I mean, yeah, this was like 86, 87. Which was, I mean, in that time, it was a weird time as well. I mean, first off, the 80s sucked. You know, I mean, they were a yeah. weird time, man. I mean, just with the clothes and break dancing and, and the rap and the music that was coming out at that point where there were so many lines that were crossed. I mean, you know, when you talk about Run DMC and you're looking back at some of the bigger guys like that. I mean, that was that was Beastie Boy time. Yeah, for sure. You know, that was I still remember going to do you, do you remember the Parkside Inn down by the Man Music Center? I mean, I never went there, but I uh, sure went to the man a bunch. It was. There was a, a tiny little corner bar with yeah. old black men who sat at the bar. And I'm talking uh, like 65, 75-year-old guys. It was my uh, first first time I ever drank Brass Monkey. Uh, was man, at that yeah, place. Brass Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. We, uh, you know, a white kid sitting down at the Man Music Center. We snuck into the parkside and drank Brass Monkey. Why not? Oh, my God. So. so cool. So, so I mean, so through this time, I mean, you've been at this for a long time. When was your, when was your big, when was your big break? I mean, what was that, you know, after, after, after GFS, how much more did you pursue moving forward? I mean, I, you know, what was, what were your next kind of steps? I mean, you went to college and, and then you just kept going. Well, you know, I was kind of, um, programmed to go to college. Um, as we all are. And, you know, I think by when I was about 16 or 17, and I remember specifically, I didn't, I was a good kid, but I did cut school twice. <laughs> Once to finish a term paper with my buddies, and we went to the fucking library and got busted and got suspended for going to the library mm-hmm. to, you know, do a paper. And then the other time was a, was a cut to hang out with my little girlfriend. We're sitting on the hill by the Society Hill Towers, and, um, I was eating my mom's bag lunch, which she packed me, you know, turkey and cheese, <laughs> small pack of Doritos, a couple of Oreos, you know, whatever, <laughs> apple. I'm like, look, look, baby, all I need is this bag lunch and my guitar for the rest of my life. I'll be set. <laughs> there you go, man. But I was just like, I, I already had it in my head when I was you know, a teen. I was like, I don't want to go to college because, like, I don't want to be a lawyer or a doctor I know I want to play music. I know I want to write songs. Uh, I don't want to go to college because there really is nothing to do with what I'm trying to do, right? Yeah. So I I kind of had that early on at a young age, and I was, uh, you know, but I did go to college. And how how was that? I mean, how was that? I mean, you know, I mean, we grew up in in similar areas. You know, I mean, it's a it's a wealthier area. It's a it's a college driven world you know i mean my daughter right now is freaking out about college where she's going to go right. and what she's going to do and and that right. comes from the school itself i mean you went to a very aggressive school gfs is 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 an aggressive school in the way that they do things their education and and you had even said it, it kind of stoked a lot of your creativity with it how does that play out when you say hey mom and dad look thanks for everything i'm going to be a musician well so I, I went to college for a year and now by so now i was by now i had uh, a handful of gigs under my belt. Like, um, I played the open mic circuit in Philadelphia. I'd go sitting in the Barbary yeah. blues club. This is in high school and I was playing out on the street. So I was already like pretty solid getting my performance chops up pretty good. Right. So then I went to Skidmore college, which was too much like GFS. Uh, and it was oh, in yeah. a small town. So I immediately missed, the anonymity of being in a big city because I grew up right downtown Philadelphia. 
And I hated seeing, you know, let's be honest, like all rich white people um, and a couple minorities sprinkled in for effect. Sure. Um, and I hated this every day. And I was just like, man, this is not like me. But there was a lot of music going on at Skidmore in 1991. And uh, it was tremendous musicians. And it was just after Fish had really broke open. So everyone was into this like groovy jam funk music um like I, I, like um a lot of people were playing i just remember like this song stevie wonder higher ground like if you can imagine that but a jam band type thing this was like a sound these guitar players were killing i mean i was blown away and they also had a folk scene so they had fall staffs which was an on-campus coffee shop right mm-hmm. where they had like a tuesday open mic and then monday night Right in Saratoga Springs there, there was the oldest continuously run folk coffee house in the world called Cafe Lena's, and Bob Dylan came out of there, John Hammond, Joan Baez, Dave Van Ronk, um, Pete Seeger played there, Arlo Guthrie, I mean, everybody played there, you know? And here I was playing Monday nights there and digging into this legacy over there, and, um, you know, it was interesting because when I grew up in Philadelphia, I was writing all these songs about leaving the city. I actually had a song called Leaving the City. <laughs> and all these songs dreaming about going to the country and finding some open space and tra- you know, driving across America and this type of thing. And then the minute I got up to the country, I started like writing songs about Philly. <laughs> and I wrote a song that year called Shooting Hoops, which was... Um, about the basketball courts of Philadelphia. Like I name dropped Old Pond Community Center where I grew up playing in the league and was one of the two white kids in the league, you know? And and then um, Seeger Park and Star Garden and all these amazing, you know, serious run, summertime, dripping asphalt, you know, 40-ounce blunts and, you know, the, the hood coming into society hill to run ball for the sweaty afternoon i mean it was serious you know it was like so colorful and um so yeah i started writing songs about city life and then i kind of got on to something and i was doing the blues and everybody else at the coffee shop was doing like you know bob dylan or these sensitive singer songwriter crap and i was coming up you know singing about being a bike courier singing about homeless people or singing about you know, um, you know, the basketball courts and graffiti writers and stuff. And it was right. cool, man. I had a thing. So it was like this juxtaposition, you know? That's awesome, man. That's, I mean, for me, it's like, I love that creative process to go through it all and, and, and find the ways that I do. And something that I've always been kind of enamored by is, is, is watching somebody who can, you know, take the feelings and put them down into a lyric or, you know, take nostalgia and put it down into a lyric. I mean, for me, like my menu right now at my place in Philly, you know, a lot of it is an homage to me growing up in Philly. You know, I mean, just from the roles that I get into the restaurant and the way that I present things and the way that I put them out. I mean, late nights we do a sat, we do it, we do a South Philly menu, but it's all kind of, you know, and it's like cheesesteaks and porchetta sandwiches and pizzas and wings, you know, but it's just super fun and super simple but and everybody goes, oh, you guys have a great burger. And I'm like, well, the reason why we have a great burger is because I got this spice that I picked up here when I was in Philly. And so it's kind of an homage to a lot of Philly stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of fun that way. But but when it comes to lyrics and stuff, I mean, like 
I mean, I know this is going to sound kind of weird, but like, how do you come up with 76? You know, how do you put all of that together? I mean, that's one of the songs that, that most people know you from. I mean, that was a big, that was a massive hit for you guys. Yeah, well, that was, well, wait, Ron, let me go back because I, I realized I didn't answer your question because about the, the parents in college. Okay. I want to just go back to this real quick. All right, man. So basically, like, I had, I had, um, started writing these songs. And like I said, the musicians up there were really great, right? And none of them would play with me because they didn't really get what I was doing, right? They didn't get the primitiveness and how it could be something so dope, right, of my playing. So I couldn't attract a good band, right? So I'm playing with, like, you know, some great guys, but they just weren't up far. Right. I couldn't get a band. But my solo performance now and my songs were getting really dope, and I knew I had something. So there was spring break. My parents came up to pick me up. And on the car ride home, which was four hours from Saratoga Springs to Philadelphia, um, you know, two hours into the trip, I got the nerve to tell my mom I wasn't going back next year. Wow. I want to take a year off. And then the next two hours, she cried all the way home. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, it was a really, like, emotional thing. But I said, look, you know, I got to. I know what I want to do. I can't do it there. Give me a year, right, right, to see if I can go make something of myself with my music. And they're like, okay, but you have to apply to college. So I, I, uh, a friend of a friend had a friend that needed a roommate in Jamaica Plains in Boston. So that August, I got dropped off by my buddies, uh, my best friend, Johnny, who was like the captain of my basketball team at GFS going northeastern so his dad they got out later so summer of 92 right i got in a ride with his dad he listened to like a mozart concerto the whole way up i fell asleep woke up in boston <laughs> and i get dropped off make planes in an empty room and i got like a blanket my suitcase and my guitar and i said holy shit i'm doing this now yeah so I used to play, so I went and got my street performer's license. I play out in Harvard Square. I play in the I'd make no money, make just enough to get a six-pack of muffins and a lemonade from Obon Pan. I swear to God, I lived off of, like, macaroni and cheese, cans of tuna fish, and onions, and Obon Pan muffins. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, and then, but, man, I got my shit together, and that next fall, I met, oh, there, so there was, it was really competitive to, to get a spot, a good spot when you're a street performer. So one time I did a real dick move. Like I went down to Park Street Station and I heard a guy singing down the way, but he had no amplification. So I said, oh, well, this guy's not serious. You know, he's not really working right. like I am. So I just plugged in down the way and, you know, plugged in my amp and started playing and then within like 10 minutes this kid walks over with his guitar hey you know, I was playing down the way oh I didn't see or hear you <laughs> <laughs> anyhow me and him he was named Fordham Murdy and his we became good friends and one day he called me and said hey the opening act canceled so I got on my skateboard I got off from work I showed up at this gig and there was nobody at gig at the Tam O'Shanter in Boston. It was um uh 
the cocktail waitress, the bartender, the sound guy, the band I was opening up for, and one guy who was looking through the paper. And I played my set like I was playing at Madison Square Garden, sold out. <laughs> and I got off stage, and the guy comes up to me, this weird-looking guy, and he says, hey, that was really good. And I said, no, thanks. So I'm walking away. And they said, hey, I'm a drummer. And I said, oh. So we talked all night. He gave me a ride home, and then started a band and that was the beginning of G Love and Special Sauce. Um so that was like you know, November of ninety two. We had our first gig in ninety three in the winter time and then shit just took off. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, that's what I was I remember I well, I mean I remember a lot of that that when you started to kind of blow up at that point I started hearing you on the radio and all that. I was in culinary school at that time. Uh, where, where did you go? I went to the restaurant school in Philly, man. So we used to go there, like we used to go to um, Driver's Ed down the street from there, and we used to go by there on Sunday and get these um, caramel uh, coffee rolls they would make. In the pastry like the shop. Best. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, we have, a, we have a mutual friend as well in John Moser. Uh, okay, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Moser's, running, Rose, Moser's the management company that runs my place. Oh, amazing. I mean, I got to talk to him. Maybe you can get the hot sauce in there. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, I actually have a sauce that I made that I, I have a restaurant in Tijuana as well. And, uh, so if oh, you're, no ever, shit, if you ever want to go to TJ, let's chat. Um, yeah. uh, I gotta, I gotta go pick up, uh, uh, cancer drugs for my father because they're too expensive in oh. the United States. So, oh my God. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, everybody. It is Duffified Live. And I got to talk to you guys really quick about something that's important to me and it's hats. Anybody who knows me knows how much I hats I wear. I talk about it every single week because they are one of our sponsors. I love Nogginwear.com because of the fact that they give me super cool hats. Check them out. Nogginwear.com. Talk to Scott and the boys. They've got a three-month, a six-month subscription, and you can just buy one hat if you want to. But why would you only want to buy one hat? How many people wear just one hat every single day? I know when I was in college, we had a hat that my best friend and I, Jeff Axtell, whoop, gave your name out. Go check him out. G Axtell on Twitter. Give him some love. Give him a follow. He's the motorcycle motorcycle uh, riding techno weenie. That's what it is on his Twitter. But uh, we were big hat guys, and we had a New York hat that was so important to us that when they when Jeff got married, my two best friends married each other, and when they got married, I gave them the hat that Jeff and I shared for many many years. This hat was walked on, pissed on, shit on. It had been played rug. I played rugby and it had been run over by cars. It's been all over the country. Like this was a badass hat. It was a New York Yankees hat. And when I when they got married, I gave them the hat as a gift, and I had it mounted in a plexiglass box. Um, so that's how far hats go back with me. But if you guys go in and you check out nogginwear.com, they make hats that are going to last just as long. They're going to have as much history. They're going to have as much fun. They're going to have as much character as you want. I'm a flat cap guy. I'm a guy who likes a big flat bill right up front. Sometimes I wear a baseball cap. It all depends on what I'm doing when I'm home and how, how long my hair is. I know it's weird, but when my hair gets super long, I get weird hat head. So uh, go and check out the boys at nogginwear.com. Tell them I sent you. Ask about the duffified hats that we have going out there. We've got two really cool ones. One's just a simple flat front that says uh, Duff Fifi Ed, which is super cool. It means a lot to me because if you think about it, my nickname's Duff. My daughter's name is Fiona. We call her Fifi. And then I got my baby or my oldest daughter and her name's Emily and it's ED. So I think that's kind of cool the way that hat comes together. We've got another one with crossing knives. It says Duff on it. I love them. 
I'm going to start talking to these guys about another style coming up because I just like to create and have fun. So go over to there to noggamware.com. Tell Scott and everybody over there how much that, uh, that I love their stuff. And then you guys love it as well. Tweet about it. Instagram about it. Send me pictures of you wearing a Nogginware hat. You never know. I might have some gifts for you as well. Nogginware.com. Tell them I said hi. How did the sauce come about? I mean, obviously, it's just kind of a natural if you think about it. Do you love in special sauce? And I've, dude, I'm not even going to lie to you. I have, st- I have some of your stuff in my cabinet right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. Some, yeah. Of, the, some of the hot sauce? Some of the hot sauce. Oh, sweet. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Mo- <laughs> Moser gave me a six pack when I was in meeting with him a oh, months nice. ago, and I use it now. And uh, actually, my sister loves it. We're getting low, so we may have oh, to sorry. chat. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I almost right. They put. Uh, Helped us link with Tony Luke, and uh, he put it in his restaurant, so he's been a big, big supporter. Yeah, Tony's a Tony's a good guy. Tony's got Tony. Uh, uh, Tony's son just passed away. I know, I know. Yeah. I, I uh, we were uh, we were talking a little bit, uh, and then I, I read that article that they had in Billy Mag. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really uh, quite a story, and it's it's so tragic about his kid. You know, it's especially you know, my, you know. I just, as a father, like, it's, that's got to be the hardest thing if you're, and I've seen other of my friends go through a little bit if their son has a, an addiction thing, and it's just like, oh, it's got to be the toughest thing. Yeah. As, well, I know we're going to be doing a big thing for it. We're going to do, uh, they, they, Tony started the hashtag of brown and white for, oh, cool. uh, for a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm going to be doing some stuff. I'm going to do a, uh, actually ribs. I'm going to do a smoked rib with a white barbecue sauce to get the brown oh, and white in that. And then we're going to do a beer for him as well. So. Oh. Tony's a good egg, man. He's been a good friend for a long time. So Yeah, great guy. So yeah. so so you start blowing up ninety three, ninety four, and then I mean I can't imagine what that that feeling is like. I mean, taking something that's so personal as music and the stuff that you're writing, and now, you know, I mean you said you the the la- one of the loudest sounds you'd ever heard or applause was at GFS. And now yeah. you're in now you're now you're all over the world. I mean, where, where's, what's one of your greatest memories from that, from that era? You know, Uh, there's there's so many like crucial memories, Brian. It's like, I mean, you know, we, we put, so we got the band together, like I said, and it was an interesting thing because every time we played, whether we played on the street or we played in a bar, we would get another gig or a multiple gigs out of that gig, right? So you knew things were happening. So, you know, it was like, oh, shit, shit's happening. And meanwhile, I was hustling. I was sending the tape everywhere. And uh, we got into Philadelphia Music Conference. And this was another one. Like, I remember I was working a coffee shop part-time in Boston. I came home from work. My buddy, this is before, like, cell phone stuff. So I came home. My buddy had left me a handwritten note saying Dave Johnson from Studio 4 Roughhouse Records called loves the song Fresh Lila thinks it's a hit they want you to come to Philly and I was like I got home and it was like I won the lottery I mean I did win the lottery <laughs> and I was literally like jumping up and down by myself in this roach infested basement apartment in, apartment in Alston, Massachusetts and um, here I was I moved to Boston to make it and now I'm going back to Philly Right. So we came back to Philly now, the first show we played for this build after music conference, it was us on the bill and the roots on wow. the bill who were uh, up and coming another street performance group. Right. They were starting to take over in Philadelphia along with the goats who already were, you know, they were blown up. They were like kings. Right. Um, so we, uh, we opened up 
before the roots that day. And so Dave Johnson, the producer from Studio 4, he comes and meets us at Soundchecker before the gig. Hey, nice to meet you. And, and we had, the plan was to be, um, you know, in the studio the day after this, after the set. So Dave look, takes one look at us and he goes, Hey, um, I think the studio's booked tomorrow. We're not going to be able to get to the session. Right. And we said, Oh man, well that sucks. All right. Well, anyhow, we went out, we killed our set. We got off stage. Dave Johnson walks over. He goes, be at the studio at 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so he was of- just seeing if we were the real deal. Sure. I mean? Absolutely. And uh, it was, so we went in the next day and started making demos, which would end up being part of our record, our first record, and also got us record deal. So then when stuff started happening, there was, you know, a lot of um, just crazy emotions. Like I remember being in my drummer Jeff's studio apartment, like he lived in this loft thing with shared bathrooms in Alston. And I remember getting the call. You're going to get a record deal with Epic Records. That's awesome. I'm the manager we met in New York. And uh, and I cried. I, and I was with Jeff. And I, I don't know. I just had this, I had this, like, emotion, like, because I was really happy. Like, things, oh, my God, I mean, I yeah. was having the golden year of my life just coming up on a local scene. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what I do. I knew that I didn't know what was going to happen, but that everything was, was going to happen, right? And, and this was like a, the scariest moment in a lot of ways in my life. Like, holy shit. Like, we just went from being as far away from corporate America as you could be. Like, we're street musicians, right? right? People ignore us all day long, right? And now, all of a sudden, we're basically getting a fat check and really going to work for Sony Sony, which is one of the world's biggest corporations. Sure. So it was like, you know, you just knew everything was about to change. Man, it did. It changed immediately. And it was all of a sudden, shit got serious, shit got heavy. Yeah. And all everyone, that work. Yeah. Every, everyone's dream had come true, but now we got to make this record. And we don't, we never really been in the studio before. And my drummer was older. He'd been. Yeah, he felt even more pressure, I think. So there was a lot of tension. Sure. To me, it was like, all, all of a sudden, it was like a lot of tension, but, you know, we we had a lot of trials and tribulations making our first record. And I remember thinking, like, man, this record sucks. Like, you know, this is nothing compared to the vibe that I'm feeling when we're playing at the Irish pub every Monday night. Right. But we caught enough of that magic without knowing it that that record and maybe just enough because it ended up being you know a classic record and my first record the self-titled G Love and Special Boss record whatever for better or for worse I mean that record um, that record you know really has given me legs for my whole career I mean this is the 25th uh, year anniversary of it wow Jeez. and it's still like you know those you know cold beverage baby's got sauce right and all the album cuts on that record are, you know, they're the hits, man. They're, those are the big, we have hits. The, the, the big ones. Yeah. So, um, 
So what? Yep. So out of so of all, and this is going to be a, a horrible question, but out of all of the the so for twenty five years that you've been doing this, what is what is what is one moment or one place or one scenario that you're like fuck? Like this was just awesome. Like this was the one. Like you know, I mean, I, I have a couple of moments of some dinners that I've done or people that I've cooked for at the end, and I'm just like I crush that or. This was the greatest experience. Like I, I was in Djibouti, right. Africa last year, uh-huh. you know, and cooked for 14,000 soldiers and sailors. And when we oh finished that day, I was like, this is it. Man. Like, this is it. This is, this, this was, this was a major moment in my life. So what How was, do you even cook for 14,000? Oh my God, dude, it was How over, was it was over four days. Actually, Tony Luke is a member of this as well. Myself and uh, a bunch of other chefs, TV guys, we are all a part of a group called the mess Lords. And we go oh, to wow. military bases all over oh, the world man. and we just cook wow. for the troops, man. You That's know, amazing. and it's, and we do it volunteer. We go out, usually we're out for eight to 10 days at a stretch. Wow. Um, we, we go in and I mean, I've been in Guam. I've been in Africa, oh, wow. Cuba, wow. Italy, Spain, Germany, Belgium, France. Like I cooked for 12 different nations at one time Holy with God. these guys. And to, like I said, wow. Tony's a member of that. So, um, wow. you know, it's a lot of support from the, uh, from the kitchens, the galleys that you're cooking yeah. in and, and uh, and military members as well as what they call TCNs, which are third country nationals that come uh-huh. in to work inside of the kitchens for those days. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. it's, it's pretty pretty badass, man. It's pretty wow. badass. Yeah. Wow. So. Wow. But uh, so. I would say, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's hard to pick out a moment. Um, I mean, two pop into my head. Like we had some really great. You know, we weren't on every night, but when we got on. And it was a really powerful, unique, and special thing. And nowadays we're on, I think we're on point, like every night we play a great show. And then, you know, when the magic is swirling around, it can just get super euphoric and be amazing, you know? Yeah. But we're always these days like great. I think back in the day, there were nights when we were bad. You know, I mean, we had the potential, still the same potential to be the most amazing thing that people had seen. And a lot of people, you still talk to people, they'll be like, yeah, the best show I ever saw in my life was one of, you know, one of your shows. We had a thing, and we still and we have it. But So early on, when we were having some classic hits and some big stage hits, so we would play all the European festivals. Like, and there's a couple really classic ones. One was... Ross Gilday Festival in Copenhagen, which if you're a single dude and you want to go on a road trip, I highly recommend you go into Scandinavia because <laughs> like you've never seen as many beautiful, perfect yeah, specimens, stunningly beautiful people and women uh, as you see at these like at, like the festival in Copenhagen, dude. Right. Oh, I mean, it's unbelievable, especially if you like blondes. Forget. <laughs> I gotta stay you know, away but, from um, them. The blondes are killing me. Oh my god! So we so we played this Ross Gildy Festival. This was one, we went on after this band, which was like our big brother band, Morphine, in Boston, and we kind of surpassed them. Well, no, I'd say we all got about the same level, but anyhow, man, we crushed it. It was one of those moments where, like, at the end of the song, like all the hands were like electric, <laughs> like electrifying <laughs> into a rupture into the sky, and we never would hype the crowd hey put your hands up you right. know let's see oh everybody makes some noise like we never did that it was very always like understated so to get that kind of like reaction that was a purely 
you know, gut reaction from the crowd. It wasn't hype. It was really a magical thing. Right. And then we had the same kind of thing in the Lowlands Festival. And these were big crowds, like, in these huge tents, playing for, you know, 10,000 people. We're like an Irish bar band. You know? Right, like, right. on a PA that we bring to the <laughs> bar, you know. <laughs> there's like all there's no road crew. Yeah, and we're playing on this big stage, and, man, it was really simple. And, man, same thing at the Lowlands Festival. Like, we had this magical performance there. Actually, there was this magical photo that they took that was in the artwork on my second record, Coast to Coast Motel. But um, this was one of those magical moments, too, where, like, huge crowd, and we ended up winning the best new artist that year for the Dutch version of the Grammys. Wow. um, So that performance, like, basically garnered us a Grammy in Holland, you know, which was, yeah, we never did get a Grammy here yet. (laughs) (laughs) Still time. We're working on it. It's on a two-year plan. So, so here's here's another question that I, that I love to ask musicians, and that is, uh, you know, I mean, how are you guys continuing the energy, and how are you guys continuing the shows when you're on tour and you're doing it every single night, and you're doing it in front of tens of thousands of people? What what? How is it? I mean, I just don't. Look, I know what happens when I'm in a restaurant. I have to perform. I've got a job to do. Right, right. But you're at a whole, it's a whole different level. I mean, you're physically, you're performing. Right. How is it that that goes on night after night after night on a tour that's three, four, five, six months? Well, I mean, it's the same thing as you, Brian. It's like, it's, it comes down to like an energy thing, right? And like, it takes a while, right? To figure out, like, actually, it's funny because like, you know, you know, like I have a lot of friends that are chefs and the other night we we're in Martha's Vineyard at my friend, uh, Ben DeForest restaurant called the red cat. And it's great. Like farm table, locally sourced. And he's, he was, he wasn't even behind the line that night. He was actually just expediting that night, which was not what he usually does, you know, behind the line. Right. But, um, I was just like watching these guys, like, him expediting and the guys on the line. And I'm like, um, all right, well, we're going in for early dinner before sound check at five. And I know they're just getting started. Right. And they're going to go now till, you know, and they've been at it for a couple hours. Right. Prep. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know how the fuck you guys do this. Shit <laughs> I don't, that's a, I don't even know how you take a break, take a piss or, you know, look, you can't look at your phone, you know, yeah. you drink, lemonade or Gatorade or whatever, you're sweating your ass off and you're making these beautiful plates like it's nothing. And I'm like, you're on your feet for like eight hours. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's tough. It's, uh, it's, what I, mean, I do is easy. Man. <laughs> you know what? Great. Now I feel like shit. Now, now I'm, I'm going back to the kitchen. Um, I, uh, I remember, I remember when we had those, you know, those nights, those crazy mother's days and, and the other shit where we were 10, 12 hours doing it. And I used to yeah. smoke and I remember running outside and a buddy of mine, he would smoke a Marlboro in four drags. Oh my god! We literally would run out the right. back door, and I would sit down on a milk crate, and he would stand right. next to me, and he'd be like, "All right, dude, you ready to go? Let's go back in." I'm like, "I just fucking lit it, dude. I like, I'm, I'm not even. Right. I, I just right. lit." So, um, right. but I was, I actually, I was the chef for Train. I opened up one of Train's tours a oh, couple no, years I- ago, and got to see. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, you guys just sound check after sound check after. 
you know, to get the yeah. tours going and all that yeah. stuff. It's just, it's always been pretty amazing to me. So I'm always kind of, kind of in awe of you guys and how you do it. Like we get, we get, we go crazy. Yeah. But I mean, you got, there's just something like I saw John legend the other night. He's a fucking, he's a performer, man. He's a performer. And to watch that, you know, the way the movement and the choreography and the way that everything comes together is just amazing to me. So I don't know. Um, So like, I I mean, I mean, like, I mean, it really comes into an energy thing. Like, honestly, like it's, it's taken me like, you know, all throughout the years, I've had different routines, you know, things that get me in my head and my body, like ready to play. Like I'd say, you know, we slugged it out in a van for four or five years, coast to coast, coast to coast, back and forth, all everywhere. And uh, that was really like, I don't know how that, I don't, I, when I see bands doing that now, I'm just like, how the fuck are you doing that? You know, I just, even if you're, just a solo performer driving yourself to the gig every day. I'm just like, how the fuck are these guys doing this shit? And, yeah. and, and, you know, but of course, like I did it for years. I was a lot younger, you know what I mean? And a lot less gigs under my belt. I'll say this, like once you get to a tour bus, it really drastically changes um, everything in a positive way. Like instead of, you know, driving all day and going straight stage you're waking up in the town you're going to play at you're going right. to get a chance to get a solid meal you're going to get to exercise or walk around you have time to nap and so one thing in my band is we all like if you look at our a typical show day right i try to sleep in as late as possible because i gotta rest my voice and i and the best way to do that is to you know not talk so sleeping sure. if you're a vocalist you know I got to get my rest and then I get up, you know, I really try to take care of myself, like food, body wise. My new routine is I'm on like the, um, trying to be on that slow carb diet, like the Ferris diet, four hour body thing. So I have 30 grams of protein within 30 minutes of waking up, which, which now is like protein powder and then some powdered green. And then I hit the gym. So I take care of my business calls, any interviews I got to do, and then it's kind of ready to go to sound check. I do sound check. I do a VIP show, and now I have um, a quick, like, half hour to an hour to eat something and chill, and then an hour to nap, and then an hour to get up. And once I get up, now I'm an hour out from the show. Took my nap. Now I I, um, do a vocal lesson. which is a half hour phone lesson uh, with my coach Donna Newman out of New York city. Hmm. Um, and she's looking for clients. She does myself, citizen Cove, Alice Smith and a bunch of other people. But, um, she did, does a half hour phone, um, vocal lesson. Then I make my hand drawn set list. I meditate for 10 minutes and, now I'm like 20 minutes out from hit time. You know, I'm, I'm dressed now on my stage here. I got a uh, magnum of Don Julio and uh, a <laughs> sugar free Red Bull. <laughs> and, uh, you know, got with the boys for a minute. You know, Jimmy Jazz is up smoking his doobie. Jeff's doing his stretches and um, having it. We're all making a cocktail and. It's an interesting job where, you know, the first thing you do to get ready to work is go is make a drink. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's kind of part of it because you got to you want to feel just loose enough that you're not self-conscious. 
or nervous, so you can let it rip. Um, but you don't want to get drunk, so you, you know you're, you're floppy. Right. But just a little bit of a, just a buzz. Just a little buzz to get you uh, over that first stage fright, and and you have to realize everybody that's in that club. I mean, even if they're sober, they're which I don't think most of them in my show are. If you look at the bar records, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, these people are there to party, so that's sure. our job to make people happy and bring the party, and also bring like it can't be vapid. You know, you have to you have to bring party with a purpose and you know, we have some songs that are about light song, light things, some songs about heavy things but the music itself is always deep no matter if it's what type of song it is like there's a lot of just power in all the music, the happy songs the sad songs, the emotional songs and the you know kind of airy songs you know it, it's it's all like deeply rooted right. and your goal then is to get out there and make that connection and that's uh and then if you can do that, make the connection, it's just like serving food at a restaurant. Like, look, if you can really, people take a bite and they say, wow. oh my God, you have to try this. Yeah. This is unbelievably, I mean, that, there's not, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of correlation there, like between, you know, delicious food made with love, right? And, and original food that's made with love, right? And, original music that's made with love and all that passion and that care to make it sound and taste just like that. That's what keeps people coming back, right? Consistency is the key, man. Consistency is the key. So do you still get nervous? I do, man. Like, um, honestly, music, that's, that's, you know, and I don't even know if I'll ever want it to go away, but there's something that completely terrifies me. Um, about the prospect of going on stage. And this happened every fucking day yeah. of my life because you know, on a show day, like I wake up and now I, I, I'm really not like, not that I'm not relaxed, but I'm anxious and putting all of my energy. Anytime I speaking, like anytime I'm talking, that's taken away from the power of my voice at showtime. So I don't want to chit chat. Sure. I don't want to, you know, I'm exercising to get my body loose. I'm getting my rest when I need it. Like everything's geared toward that moment. A lot of, a lot of like, you know, pressure and just preparation. Right. Sure. Today, today I have off. So you're chill. I'm still like, I, I, I really, you know, I can really just lay back and, relax, enjoy my family. I can talk as much as I want. I can eat whatever I want. I don't have to take a nap. Right. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's very relaxed. Okay. The trade-off is when, you know, I have that show, I mean, that's me at my best. That's, that's what I live for. Like, that's the ultimate moment of my life. And it happens a lot because I'm able to get on stage a lot. So that's, I mean, it's a pure addiction. Yeah. And it's also like a terror. But, once you get on there and you lose that and, and also like once you wake up from your nap and you say, Oh my God, I got to go on stage now. Like I could just go to bed for the rest of the night. Like, or I don't feel good. Like oh, how the fuck am I going to do this shit again tonight? Like, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of nights where I wake up or don't take a nap and I'm just fucking exhausted. I mean, I'm deep down fucking tired, man. You know what I mean? 
like um, 25 years in a row. Like, I'm tired. Like, sure. I got to pull this shit together. And I'm like, I don't know. How the fuck am I? I feel like that. It's like every night I'm like, how the fuck am I going to do this? But then you go on and then you sweat starts dripping. You know, you get into your zone, shake off the cobwebs, and you got to prove it to yourself. You got to prove it to the band and prove it to the crowd. And then you find that adrenaline and that fire. And then it's like you just take off. And then after that gig, fuck, dude, this is the best feeling in the world. So it's like come off the stage and be like, or just to be on the stage experiencing this euphoria and this massive amount of energy you're putting out and getting back. Right. And then you get off the stage and it's a real high. And it's like, then I can relax, I can talk, I can laugh, I can party. Sure. And enjoy myself. But then the next day, wake up, it's back. So, and then also the last thing I'll say is, you do do a show. Oh, tonight, look, my voice is a little raspy towards the end of the show. And I want to party. There's all, you know, people come out every night. Sure. Here in North Carolina. Oh, here's your North Carolina friend. Oh, now we're in Dude. Sacramento. There's Sacramento front. <laughs> you know, so people always want to party with you, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, like, some nights I got to be like, no, G can't talk, man. You yeah. got to just save it for the next day, man. So one one of the things that you had said is you meditate now. So are you doing TM or are you guided? I'm guided actually from another podcast I listened to, Tim Ferriss podcast. He does like ads. One of his like sponsors or whatever is this um, this Headspace. It's called Headspace. It's an app. It's oh yeah, app. I've got that. I've got that. Oh. Sure. So so like one of the things on Tim's podcast is like oh. It's a challenge, 10 for 10. You do 10 minutes for 10 days in a row. And I did it, and I fucking wrote, like, two awesome songs. And and then it was just, like, it was on. I, I, I you know, I, I probably should do it every day, but um, I do it on show days now. Right. Um, I'm not as disciplined on my off days, so do it on show days or if I'm in the studio or anything requiring, like, me to be at, you know, and I got to say, it's really changed my life and it changes the people around you. If you work close with people, because you're, you're better at being you, you're more relaxed and proficient at being you and your energy is kind of more centered. So for me, it's been really great. And, um, yeah, I, I know a lot of other people that, that I, I love it too. Dude, yeah. I love it. I, I do guided all. I try to do guided oh, every did. every night before I go to bed. And if I if, oh, nice. chance in the morning, if if it's going to happen, but I mean, yeah. I'm usually up at at six six thirty and I'm running. Um, right. You know, I've got I've got a sixteen year old and a thirteen year old that have to be everywhere, so I try to bang right. it out as right. much right. as possible. But but it, right. it is it's a big thing, and and I mean especially within the creative world that that we're all living in. I mean, it's an opportunity to stop and just take a couple minutes and and really have that brain power take over, which is kind of yeah. cool. So. Yeah. But uh, all right, brother. Well, I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know you're up there chilling out with your son and, and having a good day with the family and everything. So I just want to say thank you, man, for your time. Oh, thank you, Brian. And um, yeah, well, I hope to get in there and try some of that um, some of that late night Philly menu. <laughs> well, uh, I'll absolutely take care of you, man. You just uh, I'll, I'm going to send you up to Jason as well, Jason Santos. He's got a couple cool spots up there, and um, oh, I had great. a buddy, uh, uh, Chris. Uh, uh, Chris Coombs, who owns a place called Duav, just won Best Restaurant in Boston. So I'll oh, do a little man. connection with you and, and hook you up with those oh, guys. But, dude, uh, I look forward to seeing you. And, uh, you know, if you ever make it back to Philly, you're doing all solo right now, right? 
You're on tour doing solo? Uh, well, well, I just finished my solo tour. Um, actually, I have two shows in Hawaii this weekend with Jack Johnson. Oh, cool. The Waikiki Bowl, and then two late nights at the Blue Note in Waikiki, if anybody's over there. Nice. And then um, come back, I do a solo benefit in Orleans, up here at the Cape where we live. And then uh, we have a week of shows with the band up in the Northeast. Wow. And then um, I started a new project. I'll just plug real quick called Jam Town, which is myself, Cisco Adler, and Donovan Frankenrider. And we just put out an EP, self-titled Jam Town. That's out now on iTunes, so everybody check that out. Um, and we're going to make a record this fall. So this is really exciting. This, this, this um, project is about to pop. And it's a really exciting time. And, um, yeah, so this year I'll be focused on Jamtown. We'll do a winter tour with the Sauce, which will come through Philly and the Northeast Good. and the whole country. And, um, and then, yeah, so I got three things, Solo, Special Sauce, and Jamtown. And um, just kind of plugging away at it. Nice. Writing and making music, man. Well, good, dude. Well, go hop back on the beach. I appreciate all your time, and uh, I will uh, hopefully I'm going to get to see you when you're in Philly, dude. All right, Brian. Thanks so much. Not too shabby, man. A little G Love and special sauce. That was uh, that was super cool. Um, loved uh, loved chatting with him. So uh, everybody, do me a favor. Go and check him out. Obviously, it's G Love on Twitter, and then you got the G Love and special sauce for the band. Uh, he's coming out with the new Jam Town, as you guys heard, and uh, that's pretty cool. So uh, I enjoy talking to guys like that. Guys that have that passion, that deep, deep fire all the way down um, is something that I uh, I really enjoy. So um, creative people are just fun to talk to, man. You know what I mean? Especially somebody who's been at it for 25 years. When you think about that, 25 years, he's been doing what he's been doing, up on stage, touring, recording, writing creating that's something that is just a tremendous amount of of, i i think deserves a lot of respect and and as i've gotten older in this business that i'm in for me it is something that i really look to because i I try to create on a daily basis whether it be with food whether it be with 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 some of the writing stuff that i just recently started doing i really keep talking about the fact that i want to start painting because i'm always kind of looking for an extra outlet for something to kind of get this out of me um, so that I can share it and try to have fun with it. So, um, had some uh, uh, some stuff going on uh, around town. Um, hold on one sec here. Sorry about that. Um, had some stuff going on around town uh, in Philly that I'm really stoked about. Uh, we've got some cool events coming up down at the restaurant, um, and uh, you know I'm looking forward to uh, getting out there and kind of playing around. I'll be heading down to New Orleans. Uh, tomorrow, actually, I'm being uh, made an honorary member of Tau Kappa Epsilon, which I talked about last week that I'm super stoked about. Uh, I can't wait to get down to New Orleans, see my buddy Brad Bohannon over there at Spirits on Bourbon. We're doing a big event over there on Thursday night. Um, I'm just, you know, one, I just love New Orleans all, all on its own. So for me, it's a big opportunity to get down there and play. Um, so I'm going to go down. I'm going to do some eating with my buddy uh, uh, Brad. Um, hang out with the boys from Teak. Uh, hopefully, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. I'm going to try to have a, a quick conversation with Mr. Emeril Lugasi. We'll see if that's going to happen. I'm not sure if he's going to be around. Um, we're trying to get a little meat to uh, have a little dinner. 
So we'll see what happens with that. Then next week, I'm in North Carolina. So if you're in Winston-Salem, I'll be at the Quiet Pint over there in Winston-Salem. And then that'll be uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, right after that, I believe I'm at uh, Burke Street. Really awesome, iconic pizza shop down there. Uh, my One of my clients owns it. A super awesome guy named Dave Hillman. So if you get a chance, go down and see uh, the Quiet Pint on Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, next week in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Directly after that, I'm going to be all the way out there in wonderful Newport Beach, California, um, going out there. I don't know if you guys know, but I write recipes for Miller Coors. Um, so they send me beer, and I write recipes for it. So I might do, um, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, I did a Coors Light brined pork shoulder uh, that we actually charred and grilled the entire outside of it, which was just super fun. Um, and then we brine that, uh, or we brine it, grill it, char the shit out of the outside of it. And then we roast it off for about 12 hours at 200 degrees. So it just pulls apart beautifully. The fat melts all the way through that pork. It's just beautiful the way that that happens. Um, that's Newport Beach. Then I'm going to be in uh, Rockford, Illinois. After that, we're doing a relaunch. Anybody who's been out to Rockford and checked out one of my client's properties out there called Arrow, um, uh, Jamie and Matt, the owners of Arrow and the Cave, have uh, decided they want another one. So we're going out. We're going to do another big one. Um, out there that is called, uh, it's Arrow as well, but it's going to be in Byron, Illinois. So we're going to do a relaunch. We did a really cool, fun menu for these guys. Um, a little bit more aggressive than things that I've done in the past for them. You know, we've done a little gastro pubby, kind of simple to the point, basic, nothing over the top. You know, we're in Rockford, Illinois. So one of the things that I wanted to do is really take it over the top even further with these guys for this new one. Um, so we're looking at a couple of cool little things. I can't talk too much about it because I'm kind of doing NDA with everybody. I don't want to release too much. I can definitely say there's going to be some sick burgers going on out there. I can absolutely 100% say that we're going to be doing some stuff with some vegetarian options as well. So I'm pretty happy about that. Um, you know, that's uh, kind of what I've got to talk about for this week. I've got a crazy four weeks coming up um, of being on the road. Then I get to come home right before Labor Day. I'm looking to do a little crab feast for some friends um, that I can get out here. We can get some crabbies in the backyard, um, get kids on a trampoline and, uh, you know, get some booze flowing and, uh, you know, do whatever it is that you guys want to do. So thank you guys so much for listening to me. I got a couple of people that I really want to thank. One, I have to absolutely at the end of every single show, thank uh, our sponsor. That's Nogginware. Um, Nogginware is my hat company, guys. They make hats for me all over the place. All right. So we need to uh, thank them as much as possible for uh, doing that. Nogginware.com. If you go and check them out, it's Nogginware.com. Drop in the code Chef Bride Up. You're going to get a fun little package coming out to you inside the hats that they sell. They give you something that's going to make you a little bit smarter, plus something that's going to make you a little happier because it's all free shipping. They do free shipping across the board. For me, one of the cool things is they have a hat of the month club, so I get a hat delivered to me every month. Unfortunately, the hat that I love the most is no longer in production, if I'm not mistaken. It's called the Old Glory. I'm sorry, they still have the Old Glory. But the one that they don't have any more of is the pineapple hat. And if you're in the hospitality industry, pineapple is pretty much the international symbol for hospitality. It was a great hat. I loved it. I'd love to be able to do something with those guys on one of my logos. Never know. Nogginware.com. Go and check them out. Trust me, they're good people. So from Nogginware.com, we're going to talk about uh, Techno Solutions. Techno handles all my website. Michelle's beautiful individual out there in Breeze, Illinois. She does all my websites for me. She does a lot of my graphics for some of my logos, for my logos and companies and whatnot. Um, so thank you, Michelle from Techno. She's a wonderful person. She will take care of you on a website. She's not going to take you, rape you, you know, rip, take, rake you over the coals for it, the whole nine yards. 
She just does a great job. Then from there, Maggie Gagliardi, the amazing artist who does all of the promo pieces that we have. Go and check her out on Instagram. Go and check her out on um, Twitter as well. It's Mags Art, M-A-G-Z-A-R-T. She is uh, just just amazing with some of the stuff that she comes up with. Um, her creativity is really just kind of unmatched. And she right now has this um, really cool thing going on, which she has two pieces that are out there. And... One of them is uh, out in San Diego, if I'm not mistaken. She's got a show going on out there. I'm sorry, out in Sacramento, California. One of her pieces is uh, called the Spaghetti Yeti um, is being shown out there. And the other one is Regal Absurdity, which is in Denver, Colorado. So if you're out in Sacramento, go to the FE Gallery. Check her out. Check out that piece out there called the Spaghetti Yeti. If you are in Denver, Colorado, check out the Niza Knoll Gallery. You can check out one of her pieces there called Real or Regal Absurdity. Um, and she does this thing called Illustrations on Tour. So check out Maggie. Go and look at her stuff. Reach back out to her. Tell her how much you love her as much as I do, and I'll be a happy guy. On top of that, I want to thank everybody over there at uh, RadioInfluence.com for putting up with me and my technical issues. I don't know if you guys heard on this episode, but uh, G was on here, and uh, I was actually recording him from my phone into my microphone. So thank you guys for your patience on that. I hope Jerry and uh, Jason over at uh, RadioInfluence.com are going to be able to crush that episode for us and really make it even better than than it sounded. And at the end of this, I have to do one big thing and tell you guys you can find me at Chef Brideoff on Instagram and Twitter, Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook. And hey, everybody, make sure you go back out to G Love. Tell him that you like the episode. Do it over Twitter. He replied to to me on Twitter, um, which is actually how we got connected was through Twitter. Um, So reach out to him. Let him know how much you enjoyed the episode. Um, I'd love to have him back on. Maybe we can do another interview when he comes back into Philly. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for an awesome day. Thanks for listening to DuffifiedLive.com, and I'll see you guys later. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef. B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill Quick Fix on Radio Influence. O.J. Simpson was granted parole. He's set to be released in October. And there's a lot of buzz about this story because, A, me personally, I think that whole robbery thing was a setup. And the only person not smart enough to realize that was O.J. Simpson, simply because of his egotistical, narcissistic ways. He just heard someone had his property. He didn't like that, even though it wasn't his property. He didn't like that, and he wasn't going to let that happen. So he went in that room, and he's like, don't let anybody leave. There you go. There's your kidnapping charge, O'Day. So he serves nine years in prison. The victim of the case is like, hey, O'Day's a great guy. He never pointed a gun at me, blah, blah, blah. So he's set to be released, I think, in October. I'd be interested to know if O.J. can stay out of trouble because he beat a double murder charge, which I'm 100% convinced he's guilty of. Now, did Mark Furman use the N-word? Well, that's obvious, but on the same light, so did President Obama on a national radio show. But did he go around planting gloves? No, he didn't. So, yeah, Mark Furman used the N-word, but the DNA evidence, the footprints, 
Everything about that case pointed to OJ, but he got off. So if I was Orenthal James Simpson, I would change my name to Willie Jackson. I would get in the white Bronco. I would do what my original plan was when he was running back in 94 in that pursuit or whatever you want to call it, an accompaniment. I would take my $10,000 cash that I had. I would cross the border into Mexico if it's not a violation of said parole. And then I would go underground. But I don't think OJ Simpson, the person he is, can do that because I'm sure right now there's some production company, there's some publishing company ready to offer OJ Simpson millions of dollars to tell his story about what it was like to be in prison for the last nine years. And then what's going to happen, even though he's 70 years old, his head is just going to, it's going to blow up back to where it was. And I don't think OJ Orenthal James, who should change his name again to Willie Jackson and go underground. I don't think OJ Simpson has the ability to just lay low, move on with his life. If I spent nine years in prison and I had kids I really hadn't seen in nine years, didn't get a chance to interact with them, missed a whole lot of birthdays, missed a whole lot of stuff. If I was him, I would keep my nose clean, but I don't think he can do it. I think he's going to violate his parole maybe in less than two years. Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.